A few years ago now, I read this uh, story about a guy whose life had gotten somewhat boring, somewhat routine. And so he was looking for a new challenge, some something that would bring a little bit of of excitement, adventure into his life. And so this Frenchman by the name of uh, Jared Aboville decided, ah, I know what I'll do. I will be the first person to row a boat from Australia uh, or all the way to the U.S. 6,300 miles in a 26-foot rowboat. And so he prepared himself and decided that this might be something exciting. This might actually invigorate his life and, and in the boredom. And so he did. He decided to row all of that way. So he got in his boat and he started rowing. And five days out, he hit his first typhoon. And the typhoon blew him all the way back to where he started. But he kept rowing rode for another month solid until he hit his second typhoon. The typhoon lasted for eight days. And he hunkered down in his little sailboat and kept rowing, trying to just stay alive. When the storm finally passed and he checked his location, he realized that in those eight days he had traveled a total of one mile. So now it was about 6,300 or 299 or something. I mean, he was really making progress. Well, during the course of this adventure, he rode on average 10 to 14 hours a day, often through swells that were as tall as four-story buildings. His little boat capsized 38 different times, He lost two sets of spare oars. One time when the boat capsized, he got stuck and the waves kept banging his head against the side of the boat until he had this huge gash in his forehead that he couldn't get the bleeding to stop. I mean, it was just an absolutely torturous kind of trip that that he was taking. And, you know, it was was amazing because after 143 days of nonstop rowing, having lost over 30 pounds, sores all over his body, big, huge scab on his head. I mean, the guy was barely a skeleton. He finally reached Washington State. And as he came in, all kinds of boats came, went out to greet him and stuff and to celebrate his arrival that he'd finally done it. I mean, he did. He rode 6,300 miles uh, across the Pacific Ocean. But a reporter, when he finally got on land, a reporter asked him, Gerard, how was the trip? (laughs) Can you imagine this guy emaciated with a scab on his forehead and, you know, just barely able to stand up? And Gerard said this. He said, if I knew it was going to be like this when I started. I never would have started. If I knew it was going to be so painful, so torturous, so life-threatening, so frightening, I never would have begun in the first place. I was just looking for a little adventure and excitement. And it almost cost him his life. You know, I think Jonah could probably resonate with Gerard. I think Jonah, if we were to talk to him after his little episode uh, here in this uh, story of Jonah, I think he would say the same thing. If I knew it was going to be like this when I started, I never would have started. If I had known how dangerous, how how terrible this journey would have been, I never would have went to Tarshish in the first place. I would have gone to Nineveh. 
You see, I think that's kind of the reality of disobedience, when we choose to deliberately disobey God. I think even sometimes as Christians, you know, maybe life gets a little routine. We think, you know, I just need something to liven my life up a little bit, or I'm, I'm kind of bored doing this. And sometimes I think even as Christians, as we kind of begin to drift away from God a little bit, we think, well, what would it hurt? To do this, it might add a little excitement, a little fun, a little adventure to our life. And so maybe we choose to step out in deliberate disobedience to God in some area of our life. But just like Gerard and just like Jonah, if you've ever experienced that, you probably would say the same thing. If I knew it was going to be like this when I started to disobey, I never would have disobeyed in the first place. Because whenever we're running away from God in disobedience, whenever we're choosing to deliberately disobey God, it always means running into a storm. And it's the storm of God's discipline in our lives. You know, when we last saw Jonah last week, he was on that ship getting ready to go to Tarshish. And and, and one of the reasons he was doing that was so he could run away from God. So he could get away from God's presence. He was disobeying and he just wanted out of there. But with every mile that Jonah sailed, he was sailing further and further into the storm of God's discipline that would get his attention and bring him back. And I want you to turn with me to Jonah chapter one again. We're going to focus on verses four through nine this morning. Because I want us to see what happens once Jonah chooses to deliberately disobey and how God tries to get his attention. Now, just to kind of get a running start, I'm going to start with verses one through three and then we'll go four through nine. It says the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up. And go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, probably a little sheepishly, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, in these verses, I want us to see three consequences, three consequences that we can expect 
to experience, just like Jonah, whenever we choose to set out on a course of deliberate disobedience to God. And the very first consequence is that we will experience God's discipline in our lives. When we choose a course of deliberate disobedience, we can expect God's discipline in some form to come into our lives. You see, though Jonah had deliberately decided to disobey God, uh, he soon realized that there was nowhere he could go to get away from God and God's discipline. Look again here in verse four. It says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Now, it's amazing to me that Jonah, first of all, as a prophet of God, thought he could disobey God and get away with it, that he could somehow outrun God and, and everything would be OK. But we see that as Jonah leaves for his destination of disobedience, Tarshish, immediately a storm comes up and threaten the, threatens the boat. And I want you to notice the source of the storm, because it's very important. The source of the storm is God. It says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind. I mean, God is watching his prophet Jonah just directly disobey what he'd asked him to do. And so God says, you're not getting away this easy, man. And he just stirs up a storm to make Jonah's life a little miserable and to primarily get his attention and get him back on the right course to help him recognize he's disobeying and that that's not a good thing. You see, the reality is whenever we disobey God, we should expect some form of God's discipline in our lives. Sometimes it might come in the form of different circumstances that enter our lives. Sometimes it might come in the form of broken relationships that bring pain and hurt into our lives. There's all kinds of ways that God can get our attention when we've chosen to disobey him. But here's the thing we need to recognize. When God brings that discipline, it's not punitive in nature. He's not just trying to, to upset us. He's not just trying to hurt us or really just make our life miserable. God brings discipline to get our attention and get us back on course. I truly don't believe that God enjoyed hurling that storm in an effort to get Jonah's attention. I think God truly would have just as soon seen Jonah now on his way on camelback to Nineveh instead of on a ship to Tarshish. But Jonah had free will and he chose to disobey. And so God said, you know what? I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to discipline you. You know, it's, it's kind of like we as parents with our kids. I mean, how many of us as parents, if we truly care about our children and their development and their safety and their health, if they deliberately disobey us, how many of us just go, oh, well, nothing I can do. You know, they'll be okay. You know, our street isn't very busy, so if they play in the street, there's not a very high likelihood they'll get hit or something. You know, I mean, we don't do that as parents. When our children disobey us, we discipline them, don't we? Now, as parents, do we discipline them to hurt them? Do we want to make them miserable? Do we want to inflict pain and just be punitive in our discipline? No. The reason we discipline our children is so that they will grow up healthy. So they won't be socially maladjusted so that they'll be able to interact with others so that they stay alive 
That's the purpose of discipline. And the same is true in our spiritual lives with God. You cannot expect to disobey God and not experience his judgment because he loves you too much. He loves us too much to just let us disobey and not suffer any kind of consequences. So he disciplines us. In fact, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Because the writer to the Hebrews talks about how God disciplines us and why he disciplines us and why it's so important as God's children that God discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says this. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you, as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his ch children at all. Since we respect our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You see, we need to realize that God disciplines us because he loves us. He loved Jonah and he knew that if he didn't discipline Jonah and get his attention, that, that Jonah could just keep going off in disobedience and then his life would truly be a mess and miserable. You know, when I was 12 years old, I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I remember being at our little church. I remember we had some evangelists there in this Assembly of God church. It was a Sunday night service, and he preached a powerful gospel message. And I remember as a 12-year-old just being overcome with a sense of the conviction of my sin and my need for a Savior and that I had violated God's standard. Now, I'm 12 years old. You know, I wasn't a drug addict. I, I wasn't an axe murderer or anything. Not, not a huge life of sin behind me. But the power of the Holy Spirit's conviction that I had violated God's holy standard was so strong that I, I walked up front and I knelt at the altar and an elder came up and prayed with me to receive Christ. And it really changed my life. I remember driving home that night in the back of my dad's little Datsun pickup. It was the summertime. I remember laying in the, the bed of that truck, looking up at all the stars and feeling so light and so free, like I could just float out of that truck. Right up to heaven. I just, I felt so clean and so forgiven. It was just an amazing experience. And I began to grow in Christ and went to church and we had a very loving, you know, godly kind of family and it was very emotionally healthy, you know, perfect environment to grow up. But when I turned 18, for whatever reason, I thought, you know, I wonder what life is like on the other side of the street. 
You know, I haven't done anything bad, and I, you know, my life's a little plain and boring, and, and I don't know what it was, but there was something about me that just decided, you know, I think I just want to experiment a little bit. It might have coincided with my leaving home for college, you know, and, and getting out of that environment and thinking, you know, I think I'm just going to explore a little bit at college. And I will never forget the first time when I did something that I knew was an act of deliberate disobedience to God. I mean, the Holy Spirit was shouting, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't go, don't go. And I just like shut my ears and shook my head and I went anyways. And you know what? The next time it was a little bit easier to do. And then the next time a little bit easier, you know, after about two years, that was just a little tiny whisper. It wasn't a shout anymore. And even though I was feeling guilty and a little bit miserable, I continued on this course of deliberate disobedience to God. But I've got to tell you, during those three years, when I kind of had my little Tarshish experience, you have never met a more miserable human being on planet Earth than me. I was joyless. I was miserable. Sure, on the outside, it looked like I might be a party animal just having a great time. But every night I would go home into my dorm and I'd fall asleep praying that the rapture wouldn't happen. You know, just God, just, you know, give me one more day. You know, I'll come back. I'll come back. You know, my parents were constantly praying for me. It it ruined my relationship with them, although they continued to love me and stuff. I just always felt guilty. My finances were a shambles. My grades were going downhill. I mean, my life was a mess. And it was the storm of God's discipline that he was bringing into my life. And over three years, that, that storm of discipline got louder and stronger and more dangerous until finally... God got my attention and I woke up and I repented and I I returned back to God. But the reality is, I learned the hard way that you cannot live in deliberate disobedience to God as a Christian and not expect God's discipline. You see, I was still God's child. He was not going to let me just go without a fight. I mean, he wanted me with him. And so even though I could go through all the motions and do all those things, it wasn't fun I was miserable, and my life almost hit you know, rock bottom, really, before I finally woke up and got back on the right course. So we need to understand that when we deliberately disobey God, we should expect God's discipline in our lives. But there's a second consequence, and this might even be a more serious consequence, and that is we'll experience hurt and pain to others. We will create hurt and pain in the lives of of other people. You see, Jonah's disobedience didn't just affect him. It wasn't just him that got caught up in the storm. It was all of the other people on that ship that got caught up in the storm of of Jonah's discipline, and they had to suffer along with Jonah. Look what it says here in verse 5. It says, Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their God for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. I mean, these guys are frightened and scared for their lives. They think they're going down with the ship. This is a frightening experience. And it's all because of one person's disobedience. Jonah. Everyone else just got sucked in and experienced the same storm, maybe in different ways. But it was because of Jonah's sin that others had to experience pain and suffering, and fright, and all of those things. 
If there's one thing I can convince you of this morning, if there's nothing else you leave here with this morning, please leave here with this. And that is you cannot sin in a vacuum. You cannot sin in a vacuum and have it affect no one but you. When you choose to deliberately disobey God, it is going to result in inflicting some hurt and some pain and some sorrow and agony on the people around you, the people who know you, the people who love you, your friends, your family, your children, your spouse. That's how sin is. It doesn't just impact the person who sins, but everyone else as well, just like in Jonah's experience. You see, you can't just involve yourself in pornography and have it just affect you. It's going to ultimately affect your spouse or other people in your life. You can't uh, be an alcoholic and constantly uh, be in that state and have it not impact other people around you. You can't lie and have it not impact people other than yourself. It's going to impact other people. You can't engage in gossip and have it not impact other people. It will. You can't have an uncontrolled anger and have it not spill out and hurt and bring pain to other people in your life. You cannot sin in a vacuum. It just simply is not possible. And think about it as a church, as the body of Christ, as the family of God. You know, when one person sins in the church, it ends up impacting the whole body eventually in one way or another. Maybe not in some big public explosion, but maybe just in an anemic spirituality as a church. Because you think about enough people sinning on a regular basis in terms of deliberately disobeying God and going on their own way and doing their own thing and following their own agenda. You add up some of the, that and all of a sudden it's going to impact the body of Christ. There's just no way that it cannot. And so we need to recognize when we're at that threshold of decision and where maybe we're thinking about this could be fun or this could be exciting or I just need this for some stress relief or whatever it is that we might be contemplating doing. We need to remember that we can't sin in a vacuum and that it's going to hurt people around us. Because that's how sin is. You know, when we were kids, I have two brothers, Mike and John. I'm the oldest. And uh, as we were growing up, we, we were, you know, we had a lot of fun as brothers growing up. But uh, my brother Mike was, he's 18 months younger than me. He was always kind of a little troublemaker, you know, always kind of stirring the pot and always getting himself in trouble and then kind of blaming it on someone else. And I'll never forget this time we were at my grandma's house. And for whatever reason, Mike went off by himself and locked himself in grandma's bathroom. Grandma wore these white work shoes, you know, that she always had to polish. And so she had white shoe polish all over the place in the bathroom. And Mike thought it would be fun to take the white shoe polish and start coloring in the tiles on the floor. Now, he was probably 10 or 11. I mean, he was not, you know, a little tiny kid and he knew what he was doing. And he 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 colored in all these tiles with the white shoe polish. And then he put the bathroom rug over it to hide it. But that wasn't enough. So then he saw Grandpa's uh, Gillette Foamy Shaving Cream. And he thought, I wonder how much shaving cream it would take to fill up the toilet bowl. So he took the Gillette Foamy and filled up the toilet bowl all the way to the top. Emptied the can of Gillette Foamy into the toilet bowl and then put the lid down. And then he snuck out and just went about his business. And guess who the next person in the bathroom was? 
my dad. And without looking, dad just kind of sat down and to do his business and flushed the toilet. And guess what greeted him? A big whole toilet bowl full of Gillette foamy. And when he shot up out of the toilet, he kicked the rug and saw all of the tiles colored in white shoe polish. And my dad came out not a happy man. And so he he knew it was one of us. And so he rounded us up and he said, who did it? In the bathroom, who did it? Well, me and my brother, John, of course, we were angelic, innocent, just what? We don't know what you're talking about. Who did it? And he kept that up until he took us upstairs and he said, I'm going to spank each of you with a strap until someone fesses up. That's not fair. You can't do that. You know, well, he sure could do it. And he did it until finally my brother, John, said, I did it. I did it just, just to stop the pain, you know. And my dad said, I know you didn't do it. I know who did it. And Mike still didn't confess, but he did it. But here he's the one that did it. And we all got punished. And, and that's often how it is with sin when, when we're adults in, in real life. You know, the, one of the saddest scenes I see on a regular basis is when these politicians and, and pastors and, and business leaders cheat on their spouses and engage in all this kind of bizarre behavior. And then they have a press conference. To show the solidarity in their marriage and that we're back on track. And I feel so sorry for that spouse who's standing there humiliated because of a husband or a spouse's sin. And I think what a sad thing that is to have to endure, you know, a sin done in secret, in isolation. And yet it impacts not only a spouse and a family, but oftentimes a church or a city or a country. You cannot sin in a vacuum. But there's a third consequence, and that is if we persist in our deliberate sin, it will lead to apathy towards God and spiritual things. Eventually, we will become apathetic towards God and spiritual things. Look what happens here in verses uh, 5 through 9. It says here, Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. I mean, they're just frantically doing whatever they can to save themselves. And look at the next verse. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and had caused the trouble or caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Imagine this. Here is this storm intended to get Jonah's attention. And Jonah's the only one on the ship that is sound asleep down in the hold, totally oblivious, totally out of touch with what God is doing here uh, in this situation. It's amazing. Uh, Most commentaries would tell us that all of those sailors and that captain were probably Phoenician pagans. You know, they were pagans and they were the ones that were shouting out, praying, and they go wake up Jonah and say, how can you sleep? Start praying to your God. I mean, here's a Phoenician pagan having to shake a prophet of God and say, start praying. Maybe God will spare our lives. You see, one of the consequences of deliberate sin is that we begin to become insensitive and apathetic 
to the things of God, to the, the spirits working in our life and to the spirits nudging and speaking to us. And it become, like I said in the opening, is much easier to just ignore. And that's exactly what's happening here to Jonah. He just became, you know, kind of dead to all of these things. And the reality is when we begin to deliberately sin against God, it will begin to affect our spiritual state, our spiritual sensitivity, because we've got to shut down somehow because we can't live with the guilt and the constant conviction. And so we just try, like Jonah is, to get away from God. And like we said last week, we don't open our Bible. We don't come to church. We stop praying because we know that we're in disobedience to God. And we need to recognize that that will be one of the consequences. And sometimes that means that God needs to ratchet up the storm a little bit to get our attention. Now, one of the things I want us to understand is that not all of the negative circumstances that come into our life are as a result of sin or disobedience. I mean, an awful lot of it is just a natural part of living in a fallen, sinful world. But if those kinds of things are happening and you know that you're disobeying God and living in disobedience, then you've got to put the pieces of the puzzle together and recognize maybe God is trying to get your attention because he wants to get you back on the right track. You know, I'll never forget when it was uh, when Jim Baker was going through all of his stuff and how oblivious he was to what was going on, how he was able to blame everyone else. Blame the media, you know, blame Jimmy Swaggart, blame all these other people, all these revelations of Jessica Hahn and all the money uh, sins were coming out. And yet he just was totally oblivious to it, thought it was everyone else's fault until finally God ratcheted up the storm enough, got him in trial and he ended up having a terrible breakdown and ending up in prison. And then it was at kind of the height of his storm while he was in prison that the light finally came in, came on and God got his attention and he realized I was wrong. I sinned. And now finally, after years, God is using him again as he responded to the storm of God's discipline. But for many years, there was just this apathy and this spiritual insensitivity because he had resisted God for so long that he just kind of become numb to spiritual things. Now, isn't it interesting in life how the people that always seem to be sitting around us seem to be the last one to know or admit it or recognize what they're doing. They create all of this pain, all of this agony for so many people, and yet they're constantly defending themselves, constantly blaming others or rationalizing their choices. It just seems to be that way. And we need to recognize that when we deliberately disobey God, it can lead to his discipline in our lives, it can lead to pain and hurt for the people around us. And it's going to lead to spiritual apathy and insensitivity if we don't respond to his discipline and get back on track. Now, let me just share a little action step with you this morning. And that is take some time this week to just reflect on your life and how things are going. You know, if you're constantly experiencing st spiritual struggles, if there's constantly seems to be a problem in your life, if there's just kind of this constant issue that you struggle with, really take some time to ask yourself, you know, if, have I disobeyed God in some area? And generally we know, we don't even have to ask ourselves, we know that somewhere along the line we stepped out of, you know, off course and have kind of been following our own agenda in a certain area of our lives and so we need to deal with that, you know, and again, not all of our struggles are a result of God's discipline. 
Sometimes struggles are just a normal part, and generally they are just living in a sinful world. But I think for those of us who are believers, we know when some of those issues are related to our disobedience and God trying to get our attention. And we need to then uh, come back to Him. We need to really confess our sin and be restored in our relationship with Him so that we can minimize the pain that's caused to others, so that we can reconnect with God and begin that growth process again. Don't allow yourself to be trapped in the storm of God's discipline, but recognize what God is doing, that He loves you, and He loves you too much to let you continue to live in disobedience without coming after you and bringing you back to Himself. So let's close Uh, this morning with a a little prayer and a time of just silent reflection so you can just kind of reflect on your life and just see if God might be trying to tell you anything in, in some of the circumstances of your life. Father, take these minutes as we just reflect before you. Just reveal your will to us. Reveal what you might be up to in our lives. Father, we all want to be in intimate conversational relationship with you. So, Father, we pray that we might confess any sin and just get back on course with you.